Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. I don't know if I would describe this baby thing as a security breach. I think it has the potential for being a security issue. I don't think it was in this case. That's you chatting with Greg Stebbin, author of White House Confidential, The Little Book of Weird Presidential History. That's right. We talked over the July 4th holiday about this story. We saw it in the Associated Press. Back in April, a toddler managed to evade security and get past the fence surrounding the White House. Thankfully, the Secret Service were able to swoop in pretty quickly and get that child back to its parents. Definitely a happy ending and a cute story. But of course, it got us uh, at something offbeat, thinking about other breaches that may have happened at the White House, which I'll fill you in on a little bit later, uh, as well as the weird world that toddler might have crawled into if it got a little bit further. I'm Mike Rogers, and this is Something Offbeats. That's Lauren Barry, one of our producers. And you're right, Lauren, we did get curious about what strange things might be going on at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And that's where Stebbin helped us out. He's been collecting weird tales about the White House since the 1990s. About the White House itself, has there ever been a time where you could have just walked up and knocked on the door? Or not knock? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, in the early days, what would happen is a president was elected and all these people would line up at the White House and stand in line to go address the president and ask for a job. You have to remember, it's, it's the people's house. It's still our house. It's just that we have to protect the person inside of it, which has created all this need for security. But yes, in the early days, you know, the White House was basically somewhere you could go if you were a citizen and you could even go see the president. Uh, there's a story in the book about baby Ruth, which was Grover Cleveland's daughter. Um, she used to play on the White House lawn and she was famous. It's where the candy bar came from, the baby Ruth. But people... Tourists would go to the White House to see it. They'd walk up on the lawn, they'd see baby Ruth, and they'd pick her up and pass her around because they were so excited that they got to see baby Ruth. I mean, the idea of security at the White House is a completely new thing. Since Stebbin mentioned baby Ruth crawling around on the White House lawn, I figured this is a good time to get back to the story about the daredevil toddler who also tried to crawl on that lawn, as well as some other White House breaches. Sounds like a plan. Where do we start? First, let's start with the fence. Uh, according to the White House Historical Society, the fence was first ordered to be installed by Thomas Jefferson in 1801. And by 1818, a new drive was put in, as well as a wrought iron fence that looks more like the one that's there today. Uh, and there have been a lot of changes since then. In 1976, the wrought iron gates were replaced by reinforced steel gates, built to withstand potential car crashes, and another renovation began in 2019, so not that long ago. 
The Historical Society actually offers this virtual tour of the fence and its history if you want to know more about that. Yeah, but the question is, has this fence actually prevented people from getting in? Because if a toddler can get past it, you got to wonder, right? Yeah, that's that's a good point, Mike. Um, and actually, both CNN and ABC News have compiled lists of White House breaches, with CNN's dating back to 1912. At that time, a man named Michael Winter made it several feet inside of the door of the White House in an attempt to see President William Howard Taft. You know, that qualifies as an actual home invasion, I think. I wonder if Taft was there. Maybe that was the day he got stuck in the bathtub. <laughs> You know, I always think of that bathtub story when I think of William Howard Taft. Yeah, that home invasion is much more alarming to me, at least, than the toddler. And there have been some other notable ones throughout the years, including an incident in 1963 where a man rammed his car into the gates. That one and another 1974 incident might be what prompted them to do that steel makeover in the 1970s. And then there was another attempted breach where a man hovered over the White House in a helicopter. In 1978, a man entered the executive mansion barefoot, holding a Bible, wearing a karate uniform. Very interesting decisions. And in 2001, a former IRS accountant fired shots in the White House. You have to wonder if adult beverages were involved in any of these incidents. I'm thinking probably so. Yeah, I, I hope so, kind of. And there's actually a bunch more, too. The most recent security scare at the White House is over the July 4th holiday weekend, a white powder was found and tested, and it was determined that it was cocaine, according to the New York Times. Uh, President Joe Biden and his family were away at Camp David when the cocaine was found. That's right, the cocaine. That's an ongoing story. And it, and it actually reminds me of another anecdote from Stebbins book. Tell me about the uh, the president who was growing some strange herbs at the White House. So the strange herbs were mint. First of all, the mint was being grown by Teddy Roosevelt. And, you know, that actually makes sense. I mean, until recently, it made sense to grow food at the White House. And in fact, you'll probably recall Michelle Obama brought that tradition back. But what really happened that was funny was years later, Calvin Coolidge had chickens at the White House. The chicken coop unknowingly was built over where the mint had been, and the meat from the chickens and the eggs tasted funny until they figured out, oh, the chickens are eating the mint. So, you know, history has a way of uh, creating unexpected consequences later on. Sometimes it's significant. Sometimes it's just funny. In researching the book, did you learn about any famous or perhaps hidden security breaches at the White House through the years? I'm going to take a different interpretation of the word breach. You're talking about security breaches that perhaps threaten the life of the president or his family or staffers at the White House. Let's talk about a different kind of breach, which is a breach of one's marriage. There have been many, many, many security breaches of one's marriage in the White House. And we could just be talking about one president here when I say many, many. And that was JFK. You know, the White House was basically a singles club while he was president. Would it be fair to say that over the years, the number of presidents engaging in that sort of breach outnumber the ones who didn't? No, no, no. I'm happy to say most of our presidents, in fact, again, in the book, there's what I call the presidential scorecard. And so it's laid out who did and who didn't. And most of them didn't. And some of them that had engaged in salacious affairs had those affairs before they were president not in the White House itself. But listen, there were plenty of 
sexual scandals in the White House. One philandering president, Warren Harding, may have even died due to his indiscretions. There are some who believe that his wife murdered him, poisoned him in a hotel in San Francisco. He was still president, so it was not a breach at the White House. It was just a breach by his own wife, if this is what happened, in the presidential suite at the Plaza Hotel in San Francisco. And his whole presidency was falling apart. There were the affairs. There was corruption. Yeah, I mean, you, it, Crony, I mean, you know, just his presidency, because he never should have been president. He was really like a great guy to play poker, poker with. He had a weekly poker game at the White House. He yeah. used to bet things like the White House China <laughs> and lose. Uh, and some say his wife could see the writing on the wall and figured it'd be better if he was dead. Let's talk about security at the White House for a second. It's obviously a lot different now than it was. Has it varied over the years from president to president? Have certain presidents taken it more seriously than others? I think recent history tells us about that, right? So just to draw on a couple of examples we know, you'll probably recall that when Barack Obama was becoming inaugurated, there was a big issue about whether he could have a BlackBerry. And they made a special BlackBerry that was almost like a Fisher-Price toy because it didn't do anything. Eight years later, Donald Trump is just pulling out his Android phone and tweeting whenever he wants and grabbing other people's phones and tweeting. And so, you know, security protocols change a lot. And I think some presidents probably take it more seriously than others because of their own concerns for personal security. But I would guess that Donald Trump probably pushed the envelope on what the Secret Service was comfortable with a lot. You know, I would think the whole turning Mar-a-Lago into the Winter White House was really a challenge for them because it's a public club. I asked Stebbin if he thinks that security at the White House itself is tight enough. I've been to the White House. I don't know if you have. You know, you don't just waltz in. I wouldn't try to get a pea shooter in the White House, let alone any other kind of weapon. I'm going to say it's probably about enough because we don't have credible threats at the White House on a regular basis. And, you know, there's other countries where there are other levels of security. Now, I don't know what it's like in Costa Rica today, but I remember 20 years ago reading about how the president would just go out and take a walk during the day because, you know, he felt that safe in his own country. Compare that with what is security like at the Kremlin today? Even if you have a meeting with the president, you know, you're at the end of a 60-foot table. So I think security particularly in the U.S., is always measured relative to the risk. And I think there's a lot of people with a lot of expertise who are monitoring the threats of risk on a literally a minute-to-minute in real-time basis. And so I'm going to say I think they're doing a good job because, you know, the last time we had a real attack in this country, and there had been a long time before that, was on 9-11. And we all know that they missed it then. And I'm sure there's been a lot of corrections since then. And speaking of the Kremlin, Stebbin would know, because he's got a new book coming out. A book about another president. Uh, his name is Vladimir Putin. The book is, Does Putin Have to Die? The Story of How Russia Becomes a Democracy After Losing to Ukraine, written with a former member of the Russian parliament, who was the only member of the Russian parliament in 2014 to vote against the annexation of Crimea, which earned him a spot on the Putin kill list and forced into exile. And he's now forming a shadow government, a democratic shadow government for Russia, so that on the day that Putin is gone, by whatever means that is, 
Russia has a new democratic government that can instantly take its place. If his supporters can't do it, we need to bring back Warren Harding's wife. You know, that's not a bad idea. I like the way you think. I'm Mike Rogers. Thanks for listening to Something Offbeats. This episode written and produced by Lauren Barry and Chris Blake. Audio editing by Chris Blake. Original music by Myron Kaplan and editorial support from Cooper Mall. Now to keep listening, please subscribe to us on the Odyssey app or Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have your own offbeat story that you think we should cover, we'd love to hear about it. Send it to us at somethingoffbeat at odyssey. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 